This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today we are happy to welcome Mr. Ash Sohn. Ash is one of the most in-demand drummers in the world, with a list of credits that includes many of the biggest names in pop music over the last few decades, from Adele to Seal to Oasis. In addition to his session and touring work, he is also well known for his seven-year stint as the house drummer on The Voice UK. He is the creator of a series of video lessons available on his website, as well as a recently released solo EP. And he, of course, commands a wide social media influence, mostly from the confines of his small home studio, a converted 18th century windmill base that resides on his property outside London and has become synonymous with his playing and brand. For those of you in the Nashville area, I will be performing at Rudy's Jazz Room Saturday, January 29th with my old buddy and former guest of the show, vibraphonist Nick Mancini, along with Clark Gibson on sax and Nashville's own Jimmy Sullivan on bass. We're there for the late set starting at 11 p.m., so come on out if you're around. Come say hi. I'd love to see you. And if you want to dig back into the Working Drummer archive, you can hear my convo with Nick on episode 90. Once again, that's Saturday, January 29th, 11 p.m. More info at rudysjazzroom.com slash calendar. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Please check out our latest Patreon content. There will soon be a new installment with today's guest, Ash Stone, talking about this track, which was the result of a collaboration he did with Stuart Copeland. Also, great stuff there from Don Perry, Joe Bergamini, Stephen Chopek, and Chuck Palmer, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. So if you've been anywhere near the internet, you've seen Ash Zone. He has a great social media presence, always putting up new content, usually from that little studio of his, that I think it's fair to say is just completely unique among the world's drum spaces. He's always had a great bounce to his sound, both in terms of feel and tone, and is a great example of someone who is always exploring and experimenting and growing, but staying true to the lane that he's established as his over the last couple decades. So let's get to it with Ash Sohn. That room is the 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 envy of the drum world, I think. You know, there's a yeah, you know, it's so funny when I developed. Well, we'll probably talk about this maybe, but when I when I when we built it, it really was just a room to just stick all my stuff in. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. that's what it was for. You know, essentially, my wife said, "If you don't get all the shit out of your house, I'm going to leave you." 
um, <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay. Um, and then it sort of progressed, you know, and then it, before, you know, it, I had a producer a mate of mine said, oh, what's it sound like? I said, oh, it sounds pretty cool. You know, uh, he said, well, li- you know, send me a recording. I said, well, I've got any recording gear. And he went, you know, well, just stick a mic up and put it through, you know, your laptop. And, right, uh, right. and then it just snowballed. And then here we are right. 10 years later, actually. Right. I was going to ask, so, like how, how long it was yeah. 10 years ago that you first started recording in there. Yeah. Wow. What a what a room! Yeah. And what a unique, just what a unique story it has. Um, and yeah. it, I mean, it must it must play uh, just a, a central role in uh, in the sounds that are coming out of there from you. Yeah, well, you know, when we built it, we wanted. I want, my main aim was to to make it quiet for the outside. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking. Oh, the insulation's got to be helpful for recording purposes that was a that i hadn't really thought that far mm-hmm. you know so the walls are made out of straw it's very soft rendering like an old-fashioned it's called lime render um so it's it's very it's it's hard but it's got a it's, it's much softer than concrete that that goes on top of the straw yeah uh and it just transpires that the combination of those walls and the shape and the wood it, it does sound nice in it yeah you know? yeah yeah and it just looks like a, a cozy place to be, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a great little, yeah. You walk in there and, and you know, it, it it just looks like a place you could walk into and just feel comfortable and good and creative and warm and, you know, all the stuff you want to yeah. be when you're trying to <laughs> make music by yourself in a room and that, be creative. Absolutely, mate. Well, yeah. yours looks pretty cool too. I'm looking, is that a lip you've got there? Is that a what? Is that a Ludwig you have? Is it's, that a... it's actually a Sakai. It's a Sakai trilogy series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See... Oh, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I was with Sakai very briefly. Yeah, I, I know you were with uh, Sakai for a minute. I, I became an endorser, I think, not long after you. You were 2015, I think. Um, That's right, yeah. And, and then I joined the roster not long after, and then not long after that, they kind of went tits up. <laughs> yeah. Such a shame. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. what what I've always said, you know, I'm really glad I I, I went there mm-hmm. because it's actually it it was a sort of a long longish journey, but it made me realise that the shells actually that I really liked the trilogy shells, which are maple, poplar, maple. Yeah, I loved that. I really loved those. Yeah, um, and it was a real it was a real bummer when it went under. Uh, but Gretsch. I had the broadcaster, which is the same. Yeah, it's maple, poplar, maple, and I, and I was just like, well, I mean, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, I own a vintage uh, Gretsch, and I recorded with vintage Gretsch, so it just made the greatest sense. But what was good is that I went to Sakai and realised that, you know, mm-hmm. it was a br- brilliant realisation. So it, it worked out all right in the end. Yeah, and know? and Sakai kind of had the uh, the same effect on me, which was um, that whatever you know, whatever wood or whatever construction each shell was, um, I thought Sakai was really brilliant at, at like making the character of that wood really apparent, you know, it's like, Oh, that's what a birch kit sounds like. Oh, that's what a maple kit sounds like. Um, they, they really kind of highlighted the characteristics of each wood, um, 
in a really obvious way that if you know if you didn't know too yeah. much about that it was like here's what this wood is like um that's it and, and um of course they did it brilliantly for yamaha for so many yeah, years you know yeah absolutely um yeah it's, there we go man it is it is what it is man it's <laughs> you know who who knows what caused them to sort of get out over their skis the way they did but uh you know not yeah, every not a, every business uh, venture is <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a, a real rocket. shame, you know, it's a real shame. But yeah. I'm I'm happy where I've been with Gretsch now for a long time actually. That's six, seven years now. Yeah. Um those drums just sound so I'm, good. Oh, they're so awesome. Yeah, you know, uh it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um so in terms of um, you know, the sounds you're getting out of that room, we've we've talked a lot yeah. um over the last couple of years about um just you know, getting, you know, what's called getting it right at the source, getting the tuning right, getting the room treatment right, getting the mic placement right so that you get just the cleanest, best raw sounds possible. Um, And I'm wondering um, what your process has been as far as the next steps after that in terms of mixing, like how often are you called upon to mix your own drums? And, and when that began, what were your first sort of steps into learning the, the mixing side of things after you figured out how to get like good, clean, raw sounds? Yeah. Well, funnily enough that it sort of happened parallel. Hmm. I was, I was getting the sound together and I was immediately messing around <laughs> um, just, just to start with. So, you know, it was a sort of parallel journey. I didn't really start from the clean place. Um, and if you listen to some of my sort of early, early videos, it's really apparent that I didn't, you know. Um, <laughs> for better or fact, for worse. <laughs> now, yeah, now I've got that just behind me there. I've got that... Uh, vintage ludwig right with with a with a, a d19c which is the ringo mic hanging above it mm-hmm. and a and a u47 neumann on the bass drum so i've just got two mics so in a weird way i'm kind of i've come full circle i've gone through that whole processing journey yeah. and now i'm i'm up, i'm going to two mics again now i know so much it's just kind of a weird i did it backwards really from what from what you said um and i learned about the clean sound as I went along, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I had the sound in my head for like, say the, the sort of fat snare drum sound. I was like, how do I get that? Well, I know how to, most drummers know how to make their drums sound cool. Right. You know, so ne- nearly everybody does. They know what to do, which you need tape, if you need to detune it, if you need, to, you know, I need a bit, everybody eventually over the years, you, you master the skills of, of tuning and, and dampening and all that. Right. Um, and then it's like, well, so what's why does that snare sound like that? Because it doesn't sound like that in the room. So oh, well, there's something on it. Okay, well, what's on it? Well, there's clearly a microphone. What's next? And then compression came into my world. And the, uh, and what that can do to the whole drum kit, but, you know, what that can do to an individual drums, squashing it and making it tighter and making it longer. Yeah. The length. Uh, um, and I started messing around with that for sure. But then I'd also have, that was mainly uh, plugins. So I'd always have the raw sound underneath. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I, that's still now when I send people files, often I'll send them the, the raw files only, but quite often I'll send them the, the raw files and my 
my kind of idea of what the sound is. So I guess in answer to your question, I, I, it it all sort of blossomed together, really. Yeah. My knowledge, you know, you know, uh, and I'm still learning. Like it's an endless, I know, endless journey. We all are, and and I, you know, I kind of embarked on that journey in earnest um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it became very clear to me very quickly that like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm never going to get there. I'm going to be on this journey until I die <laughs> because yeah. there's just always yeah. something more to learn and always something oh, new. Always something new. Yeah. And, you know, you, and you get there and you think, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool, that. And then there might be, yeah, but why is, why are the hi-hats doing that? You know, uh, what, uh, the, the last time I sort of had a listen to something and thought, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to make that sound. Mm-hmm. Is Hugh Padgham Hugh Padgham's drum sound on pretty much anything that he produces? Uh, it's just so simple and yet so terrifyingly difficult to get it to yeah, sound yeah. like that. Of course, it of course he'll say all you need is a good drum kit, good drummer, good room, good mics. Right. You also have to be you also have to be Hugh Padgham, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> and and you know. I'm I'm not hip to this. Tell me about that drummer and about that that uh, sound that you referenced. So Hugh Padgham is a is a producer. Okay, Got and it. he's a producer. He produced uh, all of the Sting records, some of the Police, okay. Peter Gabriel. So if you listen to the classic sort of uh, Sting albums, it's all Hugh. Right. Okay. Meaning uh, coming meaning, in the air to like uh, Ten Summoners Tales, Seven Days, yeah. that whole thing. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so you li- and, and the one that links it for me is if you listen to the bass drum and, and what is sort of amazing if you listen to the if you just focus on Sting for a while with you uh, if you listen to bass drums and you listen to fundamentally different drummers like Manu and Vinny mm-hmm. right we're all pretty much universal that they're quite stylistically different as drummers if you listen to the bass drum which is Hugh's fault <laughs> um <laughs> It's amazing how similar the, the sound is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's mega. Wow, uh, and it, it, it blows my mind. You know, and then Hugh Hugh was the, the the engineer producer that came up with the coming in the air tonight drum sound. Okay, got it. So he's he's pretty cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to dig into that. Uh, and you oh, know, the, as just, as if I mean yeah. I, I know that music obviously, but I'll I'll kind of dig back into yes. it, kind of with that mindset and and knowing about that producer, as if I need one more thing to, uh, you know. Oh, it'll, it'll, <laughs> well, it, it it almost made me cry <laughs> when I when I you know when I when I started realizing, oh my word, this is so incredible! It's so incredibly good when when you start on this journey that we're all on. And there's a lot of people on this journey from a similar standpoint from you where they started in pandemic when it's like, well, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of guys, lots of guys went, okay, well, this is one way of being creative, one way of learning something new, one way of trying to make an alternate uh, income. Uh, so lots of people started the journey together. You know, it's like, a, it's amazing. But when you, when you start realizing the effects that if you put compression on a snare drum, how that affects the hi-hat, Right. And, uh, and and if you if you put if you put it on the rooms or if you put a gate on the snare and you know so when you listen to when I listen to Hughes drum sound I listen to the symbols in relationship to the drums and I just think 
how has he actually managed to make them sound like it's obviously one instrument yeah the drum kit as a whole is one instrument but he's if you just they're so perfectly positioned and spaced and eq'd and then you start realizing that on this journey of ours how difficult that is to make cymbals sound like they're like this pristine thing yeah separate from the drum kit right as i'm Uh, as i'm hearing you talk about this like i'm thinking about some of those drum sounds from some of those songs and and not not only are the voices on the kits just perfectly integrated with each other but like you said the instrument as a whole is like perfectly integrated with the room the the you know whatever reverb he's using and it's something i'm finding really hard to do is whatever plugins i'm using like to make them sound yeah. integrated with the drum sound and not just something that's tagged on or tacked on, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? The sort of subtlety of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the ultimate thing that should be happening, which is that drum sound should fit with the song. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he had good yeah, material in, in that sense. <laughs> yeah, um, he, he was. He's never been sort of short of a good song cue <laughs> to work with. You know. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, the the Ringo mic on your on your vintage Luddies back yeah. there, and it reminded me of like I just watched the uh, the whole Get Back thing, the Beatles thing. Yeah, and you know, so they're everywhere on that. I know, and this experience that you described with you know listening to all this producer stuff, I had the same experience watching Glenn Johns do his thing on on that video, yeah. and and. You know, kind of to my shame, I had no idea that Glenn Johns was like involved in that, that he did that. Because as drummers, especially when you get into recording, you hear about Glenn Johns and it's all about Bonham. It's all about that big Led Zeppelin sound. Um, But, you know, uh, at the same time, maybe not necessarily before that, but at the same time, Glenn Johns was in the room with the Beatles, like getting all those Ringo sounds, putting four weirdly placed drum mics onto one track. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, I'm I'm very fortunate. I've never met Glenn, but I have worked with an an engineer that worked with him all the time. mm. And and I I was talking to them, and I, he also has been to a studio that I work at quite a lot, um, mm. a, a place called British Grove. And we were talking about, you know, measuring microphones, phase. And basically, Glyn just sticks them up and just moves <laughs> them around. Until, he moves them around until they sound good. There's, there's no, you know, and in fact, I think there's a quote that one of, the, one of, the, that one of the lads said at the studio, which is, he came into a room when someone was measuring like, you know, the, the floor tom side right. coals or whatever. Right. Uh, and he went, get the such and such <laughs> toolkit out of the studio. <laughs> Cause he was saying, you know, get rid of all the, just get the tools out of the way. We don't need any of that. Wow. You know, amazing. Amazing. Man. Yeah. It's, it's, it it can be such an intuitive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the technical aspects of it and the math and the science of it, um, you know, they, they matter, but, um, it does. Yeah. When somebody like Glenn Johns is just using his ear and his intuition, um, it almost doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, yeah. It reminds me. I mean, I'm sure. Go ahead. Go on. Sorry. I'm sure you'll be in the control room and the, the guys playing the drums and I'm sure it's simple as this. Glenn will probably say, move that right hand coals in a bit. Mm-hmm. And then a, and, a, and a, one of the studio guys will go out there and just move it and he'll go, yeah, that's better. Or 
no, move it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's, 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 it's as simple as that. Really. Right. A lot of trial you know? and error. And, you know, yeah. same thing I'm doing in this little room here. It reminds me of yeah. um, uh, a story about Vic Firth. Because um, I I studied classical percussion in college wow. and and went down that rabbit hole for a while, um, but like when you learn how to change timpani heads, um, you know there's all kinds of tools and metrics and just extremely fussy fastidious procedure to changing and tuning a timpani head, um, you know yeah. by modern standards and. Um, I think I read an interview with Vic Firth from decades ago where somebody was asking him about, or maybe it was from a clinic. It was like an anecdote from a clinic. And somebody asked him like, you know, what's your, what's your method? What's your procedure for changing timpani heads? And Vic Firth said, well, I take the old one off and I put the new one on and I tighten it down. And if it sounds good, I leave it there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is it. It's, it's amazing that the, the sort of manuals, uh, with every aspect of, of everything uh, are, are useful to a degree. But then at the end, I, I always find with sound, you know, getting back to your very first question, actually, about, you know, after I got a clean sound, which I never did, um, <laughs> you know, some people will argue I still haven't done it. <laughs> um, but um, it, at the end of the day, it's the sound. And it's like whatever you need to do to make that sound happen, there, there really shouldn't be any rules. There shouldn't be any manuals yeah. to read. Yeah. Uh, es- especially with something as, as, as artistic and as uh, expressive as sound. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you know, but you, you are also right when you said earlier, the whole measuring thing, that, that is there for a reason. Yeah. You know, phase is 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 a is a is a big deal and it also you know it can make or break a drum sound um but also sometimes it's kind of cool when things are out of phase i i went i went through a phase excuse me <laughs> of 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 putting um my internal 41 in my bass drum out of phase with the outside and it it just made it a little bit more up front it was it was really interesting yeah yeah, it, it lost it lost some bottom end, but it was like a it was really like a it's interesting, right? You know? Right. So those technical rules, um, you know, if if you if you follow them, they tend to uh, uh, yield the results that they say they will yield. Um, but yeah. Then if you if you break them, um, something something cool might happen. So, something cool might happen. Something yeah. absolutely shitty usually happens, but <laughs> but yeah. something cool might happen. But, yeah, you know, like uh, like I think with guitar amps, I, I've never really mic'd up a guitar amp, I have to say, but I think there's a bit of a um, thinking that if you put two microphones on a, on a guitar amp, it's probably quite it's quite good when they're a little bit out of phase. Yeah, make you know, it makes them sound kind of funky, can make it sound cool, right? You know, and again, you're just moving it around to to find that sweet spot, and it might actually in theory, not being phased, but it sounds better when you, than when it is. Right. You know, and, and that is the point, you yeah. know, and, and I think with everything in, in this, on this sort of sonic journey, it's like, it's all about the sound, you know, and, and try not to be sort of, um, you know, hung up on, on all the theory of it. And I guess it's, it's actually the same as playing the actual drums in the first place. Right. There is a load of, 
there's a load of theory, but if it, I've always thought if it doesn't feel good, it doesn't matter how straight your back is or how perfect your left hand looks. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel great, well, what's the point? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and being, being, uh, you know, formulaic and scientific about it, I think, especially when it comes to sound can, um, kind of just box you in. Um, yeah. And, and it just becomes, you know, formulaic in, in the negative sense. Um, yeah. No, no possibility for discovery or the unexpected or, or whatever. Um, yeah. In, in terms of the sounds that are specific to you and your studio, um, you know, we've, yeah. we've talked a lot about um, just the, dr- the, the journey that ever, every drummer goes on in terms of discovering what their sound is, what their feel is in terms of playing, right? Just in terms of sitting down on the kit and this is the sound I make. Um, but I'm, I'm realizing that there, you know, when you start recording yourself and when you start going for different recorded sounds, um, that, that journey starts over all over again, right? Like what sound does this room make? What sound do my drums make? What sound do these mics make? And in both those journeys, I think it's easy to, um, look over into someone else's lane and be like, oh, I want to do that. I want to sound like that. I want to like absorb that thing into my playing. Uh, whether or not it's actually something that's conducive to who and what you are uh, behind yeah. the drums. So I'm wondering in, in your journey and in the sounds that you've gone after, have you um, have, have you experienced that? Have you kind of had to put blinders on sometimes where like, no, that's not my sound. That's not something I'm going to go after. Or do you get easily distracted <laughs> or lured to the other side well, of the fence? Yeah, no, I've never really thought of it like that. I mean, I, I, I've i got a sound in my head, and I've just tried to get that, mm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you, I can I can be influenced by certain sounds of people, but that's a sort of gen, general sort of sound. Like, you know, if I think about Stuart Copeland's snare sound, for instance. Right. Um, or, you know, Willie Mitchell's productions on the Al Green stuff and that lovely which is actually funny enough somewhere that I'm going with this minimal setup. Oh, cool. Um, which is de- without question. That's what Willie Mitchell, I think would have been using on those, on those sessions, pretty small amount of mics, you know? Yeah. Um, but really the sound, it was sort of, it's amazing. I think the, 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 the main source of a sound of a drummer is them. Mm-hmm. And then it's the drums and then it's the mics and then it's the room. But I think the actual sort of heart of it all comes from the drummer. They sound like they sound on, you put on anything. In fact, Copeland is a very good example. Uh, I was very, very fortunate to meet him about five, six years ago. I was doing some shows with a producer called Trevor Horn. And um, we were doing some live shows. And we Seal was guesting with us. Um, and Seal sang Slave to the Rhythm. In fact, fantastic. Um and then I saw on the set list that we were doing uh, Message in a Bottle. And I thought, oh, great. We're doing that. And Trevor said, well, you're not. I'm like, <laughs> oh. I said, well, who's doing that? Then? And he said, well, Stuart's going to play it. I'm like, Stuart who? <laughs> and it, and it, he went, Stuart Copeland. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so Stuart was over. And he did, I think we did a couple of shows. Um, but he certainly came to rehearsals and he, he immediately... So Stuart's probably about three feet taller than me. Um, <laughs> right. And, 
and he is the drummer that we know he is and I am the drummer that I am. And it's like, we're pretty different in some respects. And certainly my drum kit was set up not for him and the sounds weren't really him. It was sort of quite dampened and detuned. And he sat on my drums and he sounded like Stuart Copeland. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, wow. It was a real sort of like, of course, you know, and he made my drum kit sound like him, even though it was absolutely fundamentally not the, the sound that he would have. Right. You know, I think that then if you start tuning the snare drum, oh, that sounds more like Stuart now. Yeah. Um, Pisces. Oh, now you're getting really close <laughs> to how, how, how you sound. Let's, let's crank the toms up and bring a couple of splashes in. Ah, here we go. But playing my drum kit, which had Constantinople's and... Uh, and tape on the, the heads, detuned, and also, it was. I've got pictures and video of him playing. It. I mean, I'm seriously. He's he's got to be a foot and a half taller than me, something like that. Yeah. He's he's six. I'm I'm five seven, and he's six four, and he's something like that. Right. Um. It's 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 it, it, and he just sat on my drum kit. He didn't even bother adjusted anything. He just <laughs> played my drum, and, and he sounded like Stuart. Yeah. So, and I so so I think that is the key uh, to to it all, really. And then the other elements are things that you are choices that will hopefully magnify your personality and your sound. I think that's a way of putting it. Right. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, can you can you give an example of like a couple of choices you've made over the years that was like you you were kind of like there's A or B and A is more me. Yeah, well, the snare sound. I really the, the fat snare sound that everybody seems to be digging that I've been doing from here. Mm-hmm. That's been a long journey. I've been trying like uh, six and a half inch depth drums. I've been trying five and a half, and then I eventually found four was a great sound to get the sort of fatter sound that I've got in my mind. Hmm. Um, and then I, and then I read somewhere that that is actually what JR would use. Oh, wow. Um, a four inch snare drum as a fat sound. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Cause and- I, 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 I found it out pretty shortly after I was been messing around with realizing. So for me, what happens is, is that if you've got a really deep drum, yes, you will get a, a low tone out of it but there's no top end hmm. really. Right. So, so what happens if you detune a, uh, a shallower drum, you've got that sort of lovely thuddy low thing, but because it's shallow, you've still got some top end and then it's like, okay, that's why it sounds like it's deceiving. Yeah. It's, it counter, so it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, so that was one sound and, and a lot of the pop, uh, the, the pop sound in the sort of early 2000s drum sound in this country was that, that I, I never, ever changed my snare sound for for loads of different British artists. Mm-hmm. James Morrison, Robbie Williams, Adele was the same thing. Um, it, was, it seemed like that sort of fat sound was the one. So that was one side of it. But then I also loved the, the sort of funkier sounds. Um, so I'd experiment with, um, you know, a purple heart drums and, and all sorts of stuff. The Brady thing is something that I, I heard in the, in the early nineties 
but I couldn't afford one of those. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, who could? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and still you can't afford them. They're so, they're so expensive. <laughs> uh, but that exotic sort of drum that sustains, but also if you dampen it, it sounds really great, like uh, got a great crack to it. So, um, yeah, I kind of looked around for that. As you're talking about this, you know, like I said, we've talked about, you know, how how to figure out what your sound is and then and then how to um, sort of superimpose that sound on a bunch of different situations um, in, in live playing. Like basically it amounts to being, you know, trying to be yourself in all situations. Um yeah. And uh and the same applies when when you're recording. I can't tell you how many times in here I've gotten sort of halfway through a project and I'm like I'm I'm going down a road that is just not me. Like I am a square peg and I'm trying to put myself in a round hole right now and it's it's not that the music is wrong for me. It's that I I just start overthinking my approach and getting away from what I do well and what feels good to me. Um, because I sort yeah. of, I, I get some idea in my head that's like, oh, this is what this song needs and all things are possible in the studio and I'm going to go after it. Um, rather than just like choosing sort of the straightest line between two points, this is how I play. These are the sounds I like. Let's get after this song. Yeah. How, I mean, that's completely right. I mean, like sitting down at the drums, it's, it's having the confidence, isn't it? To sort yeah. of go, I, I feel like. I genuinely feel I can play with anyone mm -hmm. within reason. Right. <laughs> you know, because, because, I, because I've been playing long enough and I've, I've touched on so many styles and things and I, and I feel comfortable in myself. I might, obviously, I am not the greatest drummer for Metallica, <laughs> but I could, I could probably jump up there and play something yeah. that would, work, that would work, work musically with them and they'd probably be like, nice one, mate. Right. Little English guy. You know? <laughs> um, but... But that that applies, I think, to music, and uh, and I, you know, I, I was very fortunate early on when I when I moved to London. I met uh, when I was twenty one. I moved to London, and I, I very quickly met Pino Palladino, who lived near me. Right. Uh, and Pino, sort of, one of the things that I got from him loud and clear was it's just music. Mm. You know, and, and if you are a musical musician, then you should be able to contribute to. Brazilian music. It might not. You might not be playing the, the clave the right way round. You might not even know what clave is. You know, it, it's like. But the the point is, it's like if if you're listening and you're playing with people and and interacting with the music, and you, you know you've got knowledge about uh, about feels and stuff, then it it, sh it should be it should be fine. Yeah. But, and, and it's that sort of it's building that confidence. It's almost like there's two sides to it. There's the absolute innocence and naivety that you can play, that you can just jump up and play with Chikoria. Right. <laughs> right? Um, but then there's also the musician that's like, I'm, obviously I'm not the ideal drummer, more musician for Chikoria, but I've got ears, I've got my technique, and I can definitely interact with this bloke musically somehow. Yeah. And it, and it's having that confidence to do it. And then, and the same thing when you get, when I, when you get a session, what would you, what would I play? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and it's quite often the first thing you play is off is, is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just the most instinctual. It's the most intuitive. Yeah. And, and, and the one that feels the best. Right. 
Right. And having just having the confidence to to go with your instinct. And I think that confidence comes like like you said, it's it's not about sort of naively saying like, oh, well, I can I can play with anyone. It's it's about the confidence yeah. that that comes from going through the journey to figure out who you are as a musician and then, uh, you know, figuring out as many ways as possible to apply or adapt that identity to whatever, you know, whoever you happen to find yourself playing with. And it's a man, it's a really hard thing. And I think like, you you know, you've achieved that, you know, Gad has achieved that. There's a few, there's a few drummers who are just seem to be themselves no matter what they're doing. Right. They kind of, well, well that's, that's amazing. Cause I, you know, what's interesting is I, I, I'm just playing. I, I don't. That's interesting that you feel that about me because I'm also. I've got the the innate insecurities of musicians where I think, oh God, is this right? I'm. I'm we're no different. Right. And I know Steve's really probably no different in some respects. Mm-hmm. There's 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 that fantastic story about age. I, I don't know how true it is, where he was so busy, Steve, that he was doing so many sessions. Um, he just couldn't keep. Uh, keep track of what he'd done and uh, uh, there's a story about gary katz he was in the same studio and gary katz was mixing asia and he said to steve come in sit there sat him down on the couch played asia back and he turned around and steve apparently was like white as a sheep and he's like who's who's the drummer (laughs) and gary said it's it's you (laughs) and steve he was so long ago and it was like but, but this the one thing that is true it was only a couple of takes, so he probably forgotten what he played. Right, and he and he he thought that it was a drummer that had clocked all of his chops. Wow, <laughs> I know. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know how true that is. It's pretty. It's 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 quite a good source that told me that story. Yeah. Um. So you know, Steve is there going, "Oh man, is that is that's great? Who is that?" You know, but um. The point is, is that, you know, uh, that's amazing that you put me in the same boat as Steve, really, because I also am thinking I'm just trying to do my thing. I think what's happened to me now is that I've, I've been playing for so long. And I think a lot of musicians get to that thing where if someone said to play a 16th note groove, I will play it like that. Mm-hmm. It would just def- default, it would be like that. And I think if that's what happens, you know, after quite a few years of playing, oh, he plays the same thing every time, which is kind of really what I play is. And then before you know it, that is your, that's your thing. Right. You know? Right. But like you said, it, it just, it's, it's a constant sort of choice to have the confidence to lean into what you are and yeah. hone that and explore that and, and apply that um, rather, yeah. rather than just sort of like, jumping into another lane one day and i mean you know you've, well, got, you've got to expand you've and and things influence you and that's that's all well and good um but yeah. uh i you know i in 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 my career now i'm i'm trying to narrow down rather than expand i'm trying yeah. to distill like what i am and how i sound and really lean into yeah, that, that and results may vary <laughs> yeah well no i think that's a great thing to do and and sort of being aware of what you are. Yeah. Like for me, that that's a definite significant thing that happened to me um, probably about 20 years ago. I had that same thing with some British drummers, actually, mm. when I was when I was much younger, more than 20 years ago, actually. 
um, I would go and see drummers playing in clubs and I'd go, God, I can't, I can't do that. And then I, in fact, there's one drummer, I'll name him, is a guy called Ian Thomas that played with, and still does play with a guy called Hamish Stewart, who was from the average white band. Mm-hmm. And I would go and go and see him actually in the early nineties playing in this little club. And it's like, Oh man, what he had, he was just on fire. The whole band were actually all, always, um, and Hamish is such a fantastic sort of musician. And and I would go and watch a gig and I was like, wow, I just can't play like him. And then I got called to do the gig. And I, for about, I don't know, eight or nine years, I tried to play the gig like him. And, I, and so consequently, every time I finished a gig, I would feel so unsatisfied. Yep. Because, because I, I could just never play it like him. Yep. And then one, I was so kind of annoyed at myself at this thing. Like, why the fuck? Uh, one night I played. There's a, there's, there's also, of course, particular tunes as well that are very particular to certain drummers. Sure. Uh, and there's a, there's a, there's a track that a, a newish track that Hamish used to play called La La Land, and I could never get the pocket of of Ian. And and this one night I was so frustrated. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm going to play it how I play it. Yeah. And it was, it was great. <laughs> and, so, I, and so, so funny that they, Hamish and the band, they're like, what's that's, that was great that tonight. And it's just because I just found, I thought I want to just be comfortable, comfortable playing this song. I don't want to be chasing my tail for, for five, 10 minutes while I'm playing this thing. And then feeling unsatisfied at the end of it. I want to, sort of play it how I fucking play it yeah and 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 it was and then I started realizing that that was the sort of uh, uh, an, an actual moment and then a bigger wider perspective of that is I started to realize I can't do that but I can do this yeah and I, I and I started focusing on the things that I could do well and then eventually I had a bit of a sound and I had a bit of a reputation in London and then sessions started coming and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, two similar experiences recently. One with a a play along track that a friend of mine named Q Robinson, great drummer uh, based here in Atlanta. um, He put, he put out a single and then made a, you know, a drumless track available for it. And the, the tune is like, it's very fusiony. It's very yellow jackets. It's, it's great. Um, and you know, I spent, uh, uh, basically my entire twenties, like deep in the jazz hole. Um, but I I was a straight ahead bebopper. Like I didn't, I didn't really go down the fusion road very much. Um, and you know, obviously the way Q plays this track is very different from how I would do it. And it like, I, I sort of embarked on that challenge with the mindset, like, can I be myself on this track? without trying to do yeah. a shitty little John Roberts impression, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, can I find my thing in this track? And then I did another one recently uh, where a, a drummer named uh, Jay, Jay Zone Mumford in New York just put up a drum break, like a, a just a one-bar loop, and it was just nasty. It was so fucking filthy. Um, and I knew if I embarked on that, I was like, okay, I'm, it's not going to sound like him 
it's not going to sound coming out of me the way it sounds coming out of him, but let me see if I can find something that feels like me on this groove. And I, like, I found some success with both of those examples. And that's like, it's, it's really at the front of my mind right now. Like, can I be myself in whatever situation I choose to throw myself at? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, and, it, and it's and there's challenges like that every day. I think there's musicians, and it's it's like it it's tricky, you know. And if you're in if you find yourself on a gig where there's been a a, a good drummer or a famous drummer go before you, yeah, it's it that can be tricky. That's happened to me a few times. It's happened to me right now. In fact, I'm I'm I'm, I'm learning songs for Tori Amos, so I'm following Matt. You know, Man. and he, he's a one that well, I've never met him, but uh, I obviously utterly aware of who he is and what he sounds like and especially with her music he's like he made it his own right right and it's the thing actually that we've just been talking about he would he just sounds like matt chamberlain on everything that i've that i've learned and it's like okay now i've got to come in and sort of you know uh and it's amazing because you know i think tory is uh musical enough to to see it evolve a little bit and change a little bit and she's she's also like musically comfortable enough for that to happen mm-hmm. um and i and and it's you know i'm 52 now and it's the it's if this has happened to me probably in my early 20s i think i probably would have crumbled yeah. <laughs> yeah. um you know but now i've been doing it for so long it's like it's it's fine yeah <laughs> it's gonna cornflake girl i'm gonna make cornflake girls sound like me right already it's probably gonna have a bit more of a halftime shuffle feel to it than the way that plays you mm-hmm. know because that's that's my sort of comfort zone yeah as you're talking about this i'm realizing that like when when you listen to a, a great drummer do something um part of what makes it great is that like especially with someone like matt or gad um yeah. It, it it's part of the reason it sounds so good is because they make it seem effortless. And the reason it seems yeah. effortless is because they are just being themselves, right? They're not Absolute trying to force anything. They're just yeah. being themselves. So if you try to cop their thing, that is going to sound effortful, right? That's going to sound yeah. <laughs> like you are really fucking trying to do something and you you know, you might succeed at it, you might not, but it's still not going to sound as natural and as effortless if as if you just play who you are yeah precisely and and sometimes you see what what will happen like i there's a few songs on the tory set and i listen to matt's playing and i find it also quite uh um the way he's played it i'm like oh yeah i'm comfortable with the way he's playing it, mm-hmm. it it's also in my zone Right, the way the way he's playing. I'm not. I won't play it exactly like him, but it's like, oh no, I know what this feel is, and I feel comfortable. That's it's when you get drummers when you get really enormously stylistically uh, amazing sort of like voices, like really, right? Like if you are like playing, I I can't even imagine what it'd be like playing Sting's gig. Because, and you know, and I've not seen it actually with Josh Bruce, but I know he's got a lot of confidence because I've seen some of the videos mm-hmm. <laughs> that he puts out. Yeah. But 
can, can you imagine playing seven days? It's like there is only one man on this planet that can really play it properly. Right. It's like, you, what, where are you going to go with that? Yeah. You know, but you, you, and if you get the chance to do the gig, you have got to go somewhere with it. Yeah, <laughs> for know? sure. And actually, I'd love to see a live version of that with Josh and just to see what, what he's done with it. Actually, I've not seen that. Right. But that's, that's when it starts getting really difficult. So me and me and Matt, there there are definitely we cross over in in areas. So it's it's it some of the grooves that he's playing. Well, pretty much most of the grooves he's playing. I feel he's I'm in his territory or or he's in mine. Whatever you want, right. whichever way you want to look right. at it. Probably uh, a big reason why you got the gig. Quite possibly. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, but. I know that there are some drummers that I'd be like, oh, no, that, that's really tricky to, to follow that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when uh, I, I think it's even more important to just lean into who you are. Like the more the more different from you the drummer that you're following is, um, I think yeah. the more important it is to just – you know, stay home and be secure and be confident in, in who you are and not try to be them. Yeah. As you're talking about this, you know, like I said, we've talked about, you know, how, how to figure out what your sound is and then, and then how to, um, sort of superimpose that sound on a bunch of different situations, um, in, in live playing, like basically it amounts to being, you know, trying to be yourself in all situations. Um, yeah. And uh and the same applies when when you're recording. I can't tell you how many times in here I've gotten sort of halfway through a project and I'm like I'm I'm going down a road that is just not me. Like I am a square peg and I'm trying to put myself in a round hole right now and it's it's not that the music is wrong for me. It's that I I just start overthinking my approach and getting away from what I do well and what feels good to me. Um, because I sort yeah. of, I, I get some idea in my head that's like, oh, this is what this song needs and all things are possible in the studio and I'm going to go after it. Um, rather than just like choosing sort of the straightest line between two points, this is how I play. These are the sounds I like. Let's get after this song. Yeah. How, I mean, that's completely right. I mean, like sitting down at the drums, it's, it's having the confidence, isn't it? To sort yeah. of go, I, I feel like. I genuinely feel I can play with anyone mm-hmm. within reason, right? <laughs> you know, because because I because I've been playing long enough, and I've I've touched on so many styles and things, and I and I feel comfortable in myself. I might obviously I am not the greatest drummer for Metallica, <laughs> but I could probably I could probably jump up there and play something, yeah. that would work that would work musically with them, and they'd probably be like, "Nice one, mate!" Right, little English guy, you know, <laughs> um, but. But that that applies, I think, to music, and uh, and I, you know, I, I was very fortunate early on when I when I moved to London. I met uh, when I was twenty one. I moved to London, and I, I very quickly met Pino Palladino, who lived near me. Right. Uh, and Pino, sort of, one of the things that I got from him loud and clear was it's just music. Mm. You know, and, and if you are a musical musician, then you should be able to contribute to. Brazilian music. It might not. You might not be playing the the clave the right way round. You might not even know what clave is. You know, it, it's like. But the the point is, it's like if if you're listening and you're playing with people and and interacting with the music, and you, you know you've got knowledge about uh, 
about feels and stuff, then it it, sh- it should be it should be fine. Yeah, but and, and it's that sort of co- it's building that confidence. It's almost like there's two sides to it. There's the absolute innocence and naivety that you can play, that you can just jump up and play with chick career. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but then there's also the musician that's like, I'm, obviously I'm not the ideal drummer, more musician for chick career, but I've got ears, I've got my technique, and I can definitely interact with this bloke musically somehow. Yeah. And, it, and it's having that confidence to do it. And then, and the same thing when you get, when I, when you get a session, what would you, what would I play? Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and it's quite often the first thing you play is, off, is, is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just the most instinctual. It's the most intuitive. Yeah. And, and, and the one that feels the best. Right. Right. And having, just having the confidence to, to go with your instinct. And I think that confidence comes like, like you said, it's, it's not about sort of naively saying like, oh, well, I can, I can play with anyone. It's, it's about the confidence yeah. that, that comes from going through the journey to figure out who you are as a musician and then, uh, you know, figuring out as many ways as possible to apply or adapt that identity to whatever, you know, whoever you happen to find yourself playing with. And it's a man, it's a really hard thing. And I think like, you you know, you've achieved that, you know, Gad has achieved that. There's a few, there's a few drummers who are just seem to be themselves, no matter what they're doing. Right. They kind of, well, well, that's, that's amazing because I, you know, what's interesting is I, I, I'm just playing. I, I don't. That's interesting that you feel that about me because I'm also I've got the the innate insecurities of musicians where I think, oh God, is this right? I'm, I'm, I'm we're no different. Right. And I know Steve's really probably no different in some respects. Mm-hmm. There's 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 that fantastic story about age. I, I don't know how true it is, where he was so busy, Steve that he was doing so many sessions. Um, he just couldn't keep, uh, keep track of what he'd done. And, uh, uh, there's a story about Gary Katz. He was in the same studio and Gary Katz was mixing Asia. And he said to Steve, come in, sit there, sat him down on the couch, played Asia back. And he turned around and Steve apparently was like white as a sheep. And he's like, who's, who's the drummer? <laughs> and Gary said, it's, it's you. And Steve, it was so long ago, and it was like, but, but this the one thing that is true, it was only a couple of takes, so he probably forgotten what he played. Right. And, it, and he, he thought that it was a drummer that had clocked all of his chops. Wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't I don't know how true that is. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's quite a good source that told me that story. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Steve is there going, oh, man, is that, is, that's great. Who is that? You know, but um, the point is, is that, you know, uh, that's amazing that you put me in the same boat as Steve, really, because I also am thinking I'm just trying to do my thing. I think what's happened to me now is that I've, I've been playing for so long. And I think a lot of musicians get to that thing where if someone said to play a 16th note groove, I will play it like that. Mm-hmm. It would just def- default, it would be like that. And I think if that's what happens, you know, after quite a few years of playing, oh, he plays the same thing every time, which is kind of really what I play. Is and then before you know it, that is your, that's your thing, right? 
you know. Right. But like you said, it, it just it's it's a constant sort of choice to have the confidence to lean into what you are and yeah. hone that and explore that and, and apply that um, rather yeah. rather than just sort of like jumping into another lane one day and i mean you know you've well, got you've got to expand you've and and things influence you and that's that's all well and good um but yeah. uh i you know i in 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 my career now i'm i'm trying to narrow down rather than expand i'm trying yeah. to distill like what i am and how i sound and really lean into yeah, that, that and results may vary <laughs> yeah well no i think that's a great thing to do and and sort of being aware of what you are. Yeah. Like for me, that that's a definite significant thing that happened to me um, probably about 20 years ago. I had that same thing with some British drummers, actually, mm. when I was when I was much younger, more than 20 years ago, actually. Um, I would go and see drummers playing in clubs and I'd go, God, I can't, I can't do that. And then I, in fact, there's one drummer, I'll name him, is a guy called Ian Thomas that played with and still does play with a guy called Hamish Stewart, who was from the average white band. Mm-hmm. And I would go and go and see him actually in the early nineties playing in this little club. And it's like, Oh man, what he had, he was just on fire. The whole band were actually or, always. Um, and Hamish is such a fantastic sort of musician. And, and I would go and watch the gig and I was like, wow, I just can't play like him. And then I got called to do the gig. And I, for about, I don't know, eight or nine years, I tried to play the gig like him. And, I, and so consequently, every time I finished a gig, I would feel so unsatisfied. Yep. Because because I, I could just never play it like him. Yep. And then one, I was so kind of annoyed at myself at this thing, like, why the fuck? Uh, one night I played, there's, a, there's, there's also, of course, particular tunes as well that are very particular to certain drummers. Sure. Uh, and there's a, there's a, there's a track, that, a, a newish track that Hamish used to play called La La Man. And I could never get the pocket of, of Ian. And, and this one night I was so frustrated. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to play it how I play it. Yeah. And it was, it was great. <laughs> and, I, and so uh, so funny that they Hamish and the band they're like what's that's that was great that tonight and it's just because I just found I thought I want to just be comfortable comfortable playing this song I don't want to be chasing my tail for for five ten minutes while I'm playing this thing and then feeling unsatisfied at the end of it I want to sort of play it how I fucking play it yeah and 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 it was and then I started realizing that that was the sort of uh, uh, an, an actual moment. And then a bigger, wider perspective of that is I started to realize I can't do that, but I can do this. Yeah. And I, I, and I started focusing on the things that I could do well. And then eventually I had a bit of a sound and I had a bit of a reputation in London and then sessions started coming and, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, two similar experiences recently. One with, a a a play along track that a friend of mine named Q Robinson, great drummer, uh, based here in Atlanta. Um, he put, he put out a single and then made a, you know, a drumless track available for it. And the, the tune is like, it's very fusiony. It's very yellow jackets. Um, it's, it's great. 
Um, and, you know, I spent uh, uh, basically my entire 20s like deep in the jazz hole. Um, but yeah. I, I was a straight ahead bebopper. Like I didn't I didn't really go down the fusion road very much. Um, and, you know, obviously the way Q plays this track is very different from how I would do it. And it like I, I sort of embarked on that challenge with the mindset, like, can I be myself on this track without trying to do yeah. a shitty little John Roberts impression? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, can I find my thing in this track? And then I did another one recently uh, where a, a drummer named uh, Jay, Jay Zone Mumford in New York just put up a drum break, like a, a just a one bar loop and it was just nasty it was so fucking filthy um and i knew if i embarked on that i was like okay i'm it's not gonna sound like him it's not gonna sound coming out of me the way it sounds coming out of him but let me see if i can find something that feels like me on this groove and i like i found some success with both of those examples and that's like it's it's really at the front of my mind right now like can i be myself in whatever situation i choose to throw myself at yeah absolutely mate um and, it, and it's and there's challenges like that every day i think there's musicians and it's it's like it it's tricky you know and if you're in if you find yourself on a gig where there's been a a, a good drummer or a famous drummer go before you yeah it's it that can be tricky that's happened to me a few times it's happened to me right now in fact i'm i'm <laughs> I'm I'm learning songs with Tori Amos, so I'm following oh, cool. that. Yeah. So, um, so I, if, I, I listen. Are you so you're you're trying to follow? Yeah, Matt Chamberlain is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Man. and he, he's a one that well, I've never met him, but uh, I'm obviously utterly aware of who he is and what he sounds like, and especially with her music, he's like he made it his own. Right, it, right, and it's the thing actually that we've just been talking about. He would. He just sounds like Matt Chamberlain on everything that I've that I've learned, and it's like okay, now I've got to come in yeah. and sort of, you know, uh, and it's amazing because you know I think Tori is uh, musical enough to to see it evolve a little bit and change a little bit, and she's she's also like musically comfortable enough for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and and it's you know I'm 52 now. And it's the it's if this has happened to me probably in my early twenties, I think I probably would have crumbled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but now I've been doing it for so long. It's like it's it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna cornflake girl. I'm gonna make cornflake girls sound like me. Right. Already, it's probably gonna have a bit more of a halftime shuffle feel to it than the way Matt plays. You mm-hmm. know. It's just, because that's that's my sort of comfort zone. Yeah. As you're talking about this, I'm realizing that like when when you listen to a, a great drummer do something, um, part of what makes it great is that like especially with someone like Matt or Gad, um, yeah. it, it it's part of the reason it sounds so good is because they make it seem effortless, and the reason it seems yeah. effortless is because they are just being themselves. Right. They're not Absolute trying to force anything. They're just yeah. being themselves. So if you try to cop their thing, that is going to sound effortful. Right. That's going to sound yeah. <laughs> like you are really fucking trying to do something and you, you know, you might succeed at it. You might not. But it's still not going to sound as natural and as effortless if as if you just play who you are. 
Yeah, precisely. And and sometimes you see what what will happen. Like I, there's a few songs on the Tory set, and I listen to Matt's playing, and I find it also quite uh, um, the way he's played it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm comfortable with the way he's playing it. Mm-hmm. it it's also in my zone, right? The way the way he's playing. I'm not. I won't play it exactly like him, but it's like, oh no, I know what this feel is. And I feel comfortable. That's it's when you get drummers when you get really enormously stylistically uh, amazing sort of like voices, like really, right, right? Like if you are like playing, I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like playing Sting's gig <laughs> because, and you know, and I've not seen it actually with Josh Bruce, but. I know he's got a lot of confidence because I've seen some of the videos mm-hmm. <laughs> that he puts out. Yeah. But can, can you imagine playing seven days? It's like there is only one man on this planet that can really play it properly. Right. It's like, you, what, where are you going to go with that? Yeah. You know, but you, you, And if you get the chance to do the gig, you have got to go somewhere with it. Yeah, <laughs> for know? sure. And actually, I'd love to see a live version of that with Josh and just to see what, what he's done with it, actually. I've not seen that. Right. But... That's that's when it starts getting really difficult. So me and me and Matt, there there are definitely we cross over in in areas. So it's it's it some of the grooves that he's playing. Well, pretty much most of the grooves he's playing. I feel he's I'm in his territory or or he's in mine. Whatever you want, right. whichever way you want to look right. at it. Probably uh, a big reason why you got the gig. Quite possibly. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, but. I know that there are some drummers that I'd be like, oh, no, that, that's really tricky to, to follow that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when uh, I, I think it's even more important to just lean into who you are. Like the more the more different from you the drummer that you're following is, um, I think yeah. the more important it is to just – you know, stay home and be secure and be confident in, in who you are and not try to be them. Yeah. Something I have been asking a lot of drummers. I mean, I, I, I asked this of almost everyone, but especially lately it's been at the front of my mind because we recently did our second episode with Dave Elich. Um, and I've been taking a couple lessons with him and just revamping my, my physical approach. Um, yeah. Whether whether recently or over the years, um, are, are, have there been any physical challenges in your path, and and how did you overcome them? Well, I touch wood. I, I've never really ever had like a like a dodgy back mm-hmm. or an iffy elbow or anything like that. I've, I honestly have never had any wow. of those issues, and some people. I'm sure Dave probably looks at my posture and goes, that's, you know, <laughs> I, uh, people have, people have actually said it to me when they see me playing, um, that, you know, when you're older, that's really going to be, and then they realize they sort of have to stop themselves as they're typing. Uh, well, I am older and I've been playing for 40 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's so far, it's not a problem. I mean, maybe when I'm 80, right. it might start becoming an issue, but I've been very, very fortunate that I've dodged any physical issues like that Mm -hmm. i think part of the Uh, reason is is just because your whole your whole feel and and your whole uh um you know sound it's just a very organic approach 
you know, your your posture might not be textbook, but I've never seen you try to beat nah. the shit out of the drums. I've never seen you just, uh, you know, sort of challenge your body in a way that I see other drummers just like putting a heavy burden <laughs> on their body. Um, yeah. And it's... Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think my posture is actually... <laughs> because of social media and I've, I've seen i've watched so many videos of myself i think it actually has got a little better mm-hmm. because of that yeah you know uh but when i'm in the in the spirit of playing it's like i'm not going to be thinking am, am i straight right you know it's the same it's, it's actually the same thing with breathing i mean i think uh it's something i probably should work on but i've never ever gone okay i've got to make sure that my breathing's right and and because Again, you, you, before you know it, you've got a whole list of things that you're worried about, which has got nothing to do with the music. Yep. Elitch said the exact same thing. Like the, you know, the guru of the physical thing right now in our last interview said, you know, yeah. if, if yeah. you know, forget about this when you're trying to be creative. Like if, if there's yeah. problems in your path, like we can work on them and you can be conscious of them. But like in the moment when you're trying to make music and have fun, like... If if this is what you're focused on, you're focused on the wrong thing. Yeah, that he's, he's absolutely spawned with that because you know you could go well. I can't really, I can't really go for that fill because I'm gonna, I'm gonna twist this way or whatever. And yeah. so like, we, those things cannot be going through your mind. Right. Right. It, it, it's just music. You know, it's got to be just. And you know, I think that extends to technique and like fingers and oh, should I go to my fingers here? It's like. <laughs> no just well yeah maybe i don't know you should just be responding musically to what's happening yeah yeah um and you know going back to what you said about about pino you know it's it's just music talk about a guy who's just himself all the time um that's it and that's why i feel so blessed that i was around him at such a young age and he just gave me a green light it's like you know you can play rock music you can play funk music you can play jazz you can play latin you know what? What you could do anything because mm-hmm. you're because you're a musician. And ha- like having that mindset from an early age, I'm projecting on you now. But I, I I feel like maybe that contributed to your lack of physical issues because you were approaching the music just from uh, I would imagine uh, as relaxed a standpoint as possible. And because you weren't trying to force anything, I mean, we're all guilty of trying to force things at one point or another, but, but that approach of just like letting music happen and letting your drumming happen and not forcing things, um, you know, regardless of, of what your posture looks like, regardless of what your technique looks like, if, if just relaxation kind of flows throughout mentally and physically, I think that goes a long way to preventing the kinds of issues that so many drummers run into. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And, and you know, that, that sort of flow of consciousness and flow of playing. Um, and I've still, you know, it's got a hell of a long way to go myself, you know. Yeah. But um, I, there's something that Mark, I always end up talking about Mark Giuliano and these things. But, I, you know, Mark Giuliano, I, when I watch him play, you know, there's a, there's a stream of consciousness and he just manages to get it out. And I remember when we did, we, I used to do some drum camps with him in Ireland, uh, 21 drums, it was called. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would never mention the word technique, even though he's actually got fantastic technique on from all of his limbs. Right. He would always just, just talk about the music. And, yeah. 
never talked about holding sticks, never talked about bass drum technique and like, you know, it would just always be about the music and just so much, so sort of like effortless kind of um, flow of creativity on the drums. It's it's enviable, you know, really. Yeah, and it's mind-blowing because with a drummer like Juliana, you know, the the result of his relaxation and flow and and his sort of effortless headspace the, the result of all that is so incredible <laughs> just from yeah. you know it's it's so incredible from a technical standpoint like he's not thinking yeah. technically but what comes out of him when he's in that flow state is just technically like what the fuck man come on oh no and then well, people get wrapped what... around the axle of the technique without realizing yeah. like what he's doing is about flow it's not about technique that's just what comes out of him yeah. when he's flowing yeah it's just it's just music it's just i think with mark I'm, you know i can't say for certain but my observation of him is he's that he's played he plays music a lot plays the drums a lot mm-hmm. and that's where his techniques come from he just plays yeah and it's like eventually you're based on is going to be fast. If you do that, if you're improvising every day in your own band and you're touring the world, which he was before this crazy thing happened, he was touring a lot and doing that every night. Yeah. Of course your, your technique is going to start getting really good, you know? And then if you've got, if you've got the musical freedom that he's got, he's not chained to any sort of, um, it's, you know, every time I watch him play, it's not like he's 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 chained he's chained to a click or he's chained to the form even he just he just sort of plays it's amazing yeah uh, and it's and it's really really exciting hearing someone also on the edge of their techniques so he's like when he's doing some of those singles things or whatever on his on his bass drum it's like it, he's right at the edge of as what he can do and totally. it's so so exciting and so brilliantly. Um, you know, absorbing as a, as a watcher yes, and a listener. For you know? sure. It's, it's compelling. Like, you know, when you watch somebody do something and it looks effortless, um, that, yeah. ha- that has its own effect and you're just, you know, it knocks you out. You're just like, God, how did he do that? But then I think this happens in, in jazz quite a bit, actually, when someone is sort of like at the edge of their technique, they're kind of like yeah. pushing the envelope of their atmosphere. Um, you know, yeah. it, that, that's, that's like, oh, he's going for some shit. Is he going to get there? I don't, I don't know. Like it creates so much drama and sort of this yeah, tension. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, well, that's what I like about Stuart. The Stuart, I've, you know, when I first started listening to Stuart play, I always thought, you know, it's like, it's, that's a guy that's like pushing himself when he's playing, you know? Yeah. In a, in a really, really great way. And it always felt, and still watching him, it's so exciting, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you've got, then you've got Steve, Gad, you know? I was, I was about to bring it, him up. It's <laughs> who, who, who is like, seems so incredibly in control of everything he's doing. That also is a sort of masterful, beautiful sound. Yeah. Know? And, and Steve like goes to the edge in a different way because you don't often get the sense that Steve is, is pushing his limits technically. A lot of times you feel like Steve is pushing his limits sort of energetically. Like he is, he is really given every ounce of his energy to stay focused, to keep the, the level of the energy of his playing up to stay in the moment. Like he just gives his entire self to every moment. Yeah. 
um, just sort yeah. of spiritually and energetically, not necessarily technically. And that's just as compelling. It's uh, man, yeah. ev- every interview I'm doing is just coming back to Gad these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, why not? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Another thing I'll say about, well, Stuart and him, for instance, are the two drummers that I've, I've, I've met them both. And what ties in with everything that we've been talking about, when I met Steve the first time, you know, it was an incredibly warm... I was with a younger drummer, actually. So the two of us met him. And he was incredibly warm and giving towards this this kid I was with. Uh, and me and it and he is as a person very sort of open and, and like it's not about him it's about you and what what are you doing and uh and and thankful that you're interested in what he's doing you know? right right uh so my and, and i and then when you hear him that's what he sounds like mm-hmm. he sounds like somebody who's giving and is listening and is trying to contribute in a gentle way, actually, to the to the music. And then Stuart is like an absolute, like, fireball when you meet him. <laughs> yeah. Like, when he bounded into that rehearsal studio, it was like, holy shit, there's like 15 <laughs> people in there. Right. And it's just like some, someone just fucking chucked a petrol bomb through the window, <laughs> you know. Just unbelievable, and then he gets in the drums, and that's what he sounds like. Yeah, he sounds like this absolute, like effervescent explosion of, of uh, energy. Yeah, it's really interesting that that personality thing is really interesting. You know, in the end, mm-hmm. after a few years of playing, Ferroni is another one that I I sort of know quite well, and I know and I know his playing quite well, and I know him now quite well. And it's like Steve plays just like like he is. Yeah. Like you 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 do not want to mess with Steve <laughs> on any level, really. Yeah. As a bloke, he's a he's a wonderful, lovely, warm, giving man. But you wouldn't want to fucking fuck around with him, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and when he plays when he plays the drums, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. It's like okay, I am not going to argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so incredibly like this is where it is guys yeah but not in a not in a not aggressive you see right not like all you fucking morons on the stand with me better listen to what i'm playing or you know your lemons <laughs> it's, it's not that it, it's it's not that it's like i'm very comfortable in my own skin because i've been playing all my life this is where i think the pocket is this feels comfortable to me Let's go. Yeah. And everyone goes, and then everybody in the band goes, we agree. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, those, it's amazing. Yeah. In all of those examples you gave, it's, it's, uh, you know, going, going back to what we were talking about, uh, knowing who you are, knowing what you are. And our earlier conversation was just about, you know, what you are behind the drums. But, those examples you gave, like it's, it's so far beyond the drums. If you understand who you are as a person, you know, what your, uh, positive and negative traits are and what brings those things out. If, if you just have a deep sense of who you are and are okay with that, um, I, yeah. I think it, it comes, it, it can't help but come through in your playing. Yeah. Well, getting back to Juliana, when I met Juliana uh, and Andy is still, 
incredibly witty, funny man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just kills me with, with just a, a one line or whatever. Right. Uh, and and his playing is incredibly witty. Yeah. And and so not funny as in a ha ha way, but like. He definitely isn't scared of exploring things that might be like, man, are you going to get away with that? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's, there, there he is. He's, he's getting away with that, right? Because that, and again, that's that's what his personality is like, right? And then like he he tag yeah, yeah. he tags it like a great comic, you know. He de- <laughs> he delivers yeah. a thing, and then there's one more thing after that, you know. For instance, he'll, he'll be playing something amazing, and it'll just go <laughs> whack a symbol, and and it, and it's like space, space for ages. And do it again and just go, all he's done is hit that ride twice. But it just makes so much sense with with everything else yeah. musically. And then you're back in and then you're, then you're down a rabbit hole with him. You know, <laughs> right. abso- ab- absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, and, and that and that is his personality. I, I, you know, I can't sort of, I can't, well, I do tell young drummers this. I, I, this is one of my things. I, I've been saying to a lot of drummers, which is what we've been touching on this entire uh, chat, really, which is like, in a way, it's great exploring what everybody else is doing, but one of the things to do is really find out who you are and explore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's not about coming up with something completely original and unique. It's just like, what what is your wheel going to look like? Yeah, that's it. And, and how would you approach, like you said, you touched it before, how would, how would you approach that, that groove that you're talking about that you, you knew you couldn't copy that dude in New York, but like, let's, let me work with that groove and see if I can come up with something that I would do in, in that musical scenario. And, and I think that's it, yep. really. Yep. What, what I love about music uh, 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 and you know, drums in particular, really, is, is actually everything's it's very simple. Mm. It, it, it actually all of it is really simple what's what's complicated is is unraveling our own heads and sort of and just letting that thing happen yeah you know that that's that's a complex bit but really just playing the drums is like the simplest thing in the world really <laughs> you know really yeah you know you just keep in time you're playing especially like now when i when i the last time i saw steve playing he's just playing eighth notes playing one and three two and four eighth notes and i thought it was god himself playing the fucking drums <laughs> yeah you know it's like yeah. oh my god yeah it's like this is outrageous right and i'm looking at it and i'm like it's just fucking eighth notes yeah man why does it feel so good and he's like obviously like i've been doing this all my entire life i've been playing this yeah and it, but it's and, and that's what i mean and so that clutteredness of me playing trying to play that groove like him is all here mm-hmm. uh, and then it's and it but it's affecting the way that my my drumming is happening right and so really I, I for me at this age in my sort of early 50s hopefully i start i feel pretty good now playing eight floats i hope so um but i still know that i've got uh, to make them feel like steve i've still got a bit of work you know yeah yeah and, and that isn't that isn't a pad by the way that's not sitting down at the drums i'm pretty sure that is like 
I need to listen to more music. I need to sort of evolve more as a musician to get to that place. Right, right. Yeah, and the, yeah. the the greatest drummers and the greatest musicians have won that head game, right? That it, like that internal voice that says like, you, oh yeah, you, you got to do more. You got to do that. You got to be like that guy. Um, you know, going back to yeah. the, the Beatles get back thing, you know, I'm watching Ringo in January, 1970. And it, it just, it made me realize like, what is, what has happened in the last couple of years in music? Like Bonham has just exploded onto the scene. Everybody is like, who the fuck is this guy? And meanwhile, yeah. Ringo is making his next record, just being like more Ringo than ever. Like he's not even concerned succumbing yeah yeah no, it was a, yeah yeah amazing amazing yeah he's, he's amazing Ringo and I think that's yeah you're right about him too because there's also I've, I've been with young drummers and they go like he's not very good is he and I just go well let's pick a tune mm. pick any song let's pick a fill and let's try and make it sound like him and you know meanwhile the sun's setting and we're nowhere near <laughs> you know right yeah, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to play exactly like Ringo. And it's very easy for people to say he didn't really contribute uh, much to the overall drumming um, journey. But I was like, come on. It's like amazing. Yeah. I've, I've said like, when, when Charlie Watts died recently, it, it kind of made me realize that, you know, like those two drummers just came up at the same time and those two bands yeah. just like ruled the 60s, right? And how many drummers started playing in that time because of those guys and yeah it, it they they were they were two sides of just the the rock drumming coin because I I feel like Charlie was the um I don't know. He was the more accessible one. He was kind of like the the more workmanlike vernacular uh, speech pattern of drumming. And Ringo was the more prosaic, the more sort of poetic, um, not more technical, um, but but just it it kind of put it in perspective about how those two guys at that time um, just wrote the language of drumming for. Yeah, decades to come. So many. Yeah, that's right. Well, in funny enough, there's there's a friend of mine, a guitar player friend of mine, who I hope this album comes out soon. Uh, Ringo's on it. I'm on it. Oh, cool. And I was talking to I was talking to him about it, and he said the thing that people also forget is that boom cat boom boom cat that was brand new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Playing the drums like that was really new. So, so getting back to what you just said about Charlie and him, you know, drummers of that era that were going playing any sort of backbeat like that, it was like a new way of playing the drums. Mm. It's like a, like a completely new feel. Right. So trailblazers. Yeah. You know, and we look at it now and go, well, yeah, he's just going to gat, do do gat. Like, yeah, but at that point, no one else had gone boot gat like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was it was great talking Pleasure. to you. Best best wishes in in the new year. Uh, I'm I'm trying to enter it with a, a spirit of of positivity and productivity and yeah. uh, with with mixed results. But <laughs> but I, I uh, yeah. Well, I think everybody's just hoping that we come out somewhere yeah. soon from this this craziness. And um, yeah, man. Well, you know, this is a great great podcast. That's you know. And the, the learning that we all go through when we do these things, I like doing these because it makes me 
think about, you know, people ask questions of, of things that I've not thought about for a while. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's just a reminder of like, yeah, this is how I do feel about it. Uh, um, so it must be a great source of growth for you to do this. Oh, incredibly, incredibly. It's it's just a, a weekly reminder of, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the good and true shit that I need to tattoo on my forehead and just remember every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks again, Ash. Really great talking to you. Pleasure, Zach. There you go. Mr. Ash Sohn, a gentleman and a badass. Thanks again to him for that talk. As you may be aware, Ash's signature Gretsch snare was just released. You can hear him talking about that with Mike Dawson on the most recent Drum Candy podcast. And this is a good opportunity to remind you that Working Drummer Podcast and the Drum Candy podcast are now part of the Drum Click Podcast Network along with the Drum History Podcast with Bart Vanderzee, Big Fat Five with Ben Hilsinger, and Sarah Hagen Backstage. Five drum podcasts on the world's first drum podcast network to scratch every itch in your drumming brain. Check out thedrumclick.com for more info. Next week, Matthew Krause will be talking with the one and only Simon Phillips. We're really happy to be starting off 2022 with three big names right in a row. Ash this week, Kenny Aronoff last week, and Simon next week. Simon has been unique and iconic in the drumming world for the better part of half a century now, so really looking forward to hearing from him. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.